Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. In today's episode of Eerie Encounters, we're going to feature stories from paranormal investigators that are friends of the show. Enjoy. Our group just went to Blackford County Jail in Hartford City, Indiana. It's a three and a half hour drive from Louisville, Kentucky. It was a jail that was in operation from 1883 to 1995. There were only six jail cells and a drunk tank. The cells were small, housing only one prisoner at a time. Bob was one of the individuals that showed us around prior to our investigation. He too is an investigator and gave us an insight on what areas would be the most active. The jail is comprised of cells, the sheriff's office, and the sheriff's living quarters that were located on the second floor. A storm went through the area shortly before we arrived, adding energy to the atmosphere and making it great for paranormal investigating. We started in the jail cell area. The doors of the cell were comprised of thick iron. They were heavy to open and close. The guard could enter through an enclosed turnstile door that reminded me of a birdcage. It was comprised of heavy iron and, as with the jail cells, had an enormous lock. We used our SLS camera and immediately picked up on two figures standing in the hallway just outside of the doors. One figure was taller than the other. I asked if one of them could wave, and the taller of the two did so. At this point, the smaller of the two disappeared. We had our ovalis on at this point, and we got a name, Ed. Ed was the name of the last sheriff to live on the site. We asked for the flashlight that was situated on the bed in the cell closest to us to be turned on if we were speaking with the sheriff. Because it didn't turn on, we surmised that we were contacted by one of the prisoners. We continued in the jail with the Gansfeld experiment. Taylor was the first to put on a noise-canceling headphones that were Bluetooth connected to Stacy's phone. We used an app called Necrophoics. It scans radio waves at a pace that is too fast to pick up radio stations. Taylor yelled out words that she could make out amongst the white noise. She said the name Ed again, as well as her own name. We tried to get an age or how long the prisoner had been locked up, but we got no answer. Stacy was next to put on the headphones, so between the two of them, we learned that the prisoner was most likely incarcerated for stealing jewelry. Next, we went to the sheriff's office, where Sheriff Ed had died of a heart attack after serving only four days. We felt secure and safe in that office as though we were wrapped in a blanket. We asked the sheriff to follow us up the narrow stairs to what would have been his living quarters. There were two bedrooms across from one another. We set up camp in the sheriff's bedroom. On our tour through the jail, our guides told us that we were more likely to get activity from the rooms across the hall if we were in the sheriff's bedroom. Stacy set up two flashlights, one in the room across the hall and one on a dresser that was in the room that we were in. We inquired if the sheriff was with us and the flashlight on the dresser came on as an indication of his presence. We had been going live on Facebook on and off throughout the evening. We were at this exact moment. We started to explain that the small bar across the street was in full swing and we were getting a lot of background noise, and at that moment we heard a loud crashing sound 
that occurred in the bedroom across the hall. We were in the dark, but there was enough ambient light coming through the street lamps on the road that I could see from my peripheral vision that the flashlight was thrown off of the dresser. We contacted Jamie on the phone. She is an investigator that wasn't able to be with us that evening. When we started telling her about what just happened, we heard a loud scraping sound emanating from that same room. It was though a large piece of furniture was being dragged across the floor. Although Stacy tried to encourage us to stay upstairs, we had no intention of doing so. Stacy had the audacity to ask me to get that flashlight off the floor. Now she knows me better than to even ask. After Stacy retrieved the flashlight, we headed back to the jail cell area with Jamie and her mother on FaceTime. Jamie and her mom were asking questions remotely. This may have been the first remote investigation that we've ever done, lol. We tried many times to get the flashlight to come on again as it had done earlier in the evening, but no luck. That is until I said, do you like Taylor? At that point, the flashlight came on. We all agreed that we liked Taylor too. Whomever was communicating with us turned off that flashlight, and at that, we took some goofy pictures of ourselves looking through the thick bars of the jail cell and proceeded to lock up and sage before returning home. I think Taylor saged four times. She didn't want whoever liked her to hitch a ride home. We have other trips scheduled to go back and investigate a haunted church in that area and possibly a house that Nick Groff investigated and happened upon a skeleton. It's reported to have a negative energy that may be demonic. I may just have to skip that one. Thanks for reading our adventure. That was sent from Eva from the Paranormal Crew from the 502. While hosting a ghost hunt one night at White's Hall in Richmond, Kentucky, we were in Laura's room. She was Cassius Clay's daughter. She was founding member and president of the woman's suffrage movement and was actually nominated to run for president. But when I asked about her in that room and asked about her politics, I was pushed out the door. Fast forward a year and the weekend after Thanksgiving, we were filming in that room when we referenced that incident. Just as we asked if it was her or not, we all saw a flash of light and was confused where it came from. Then the thunder rolled through and knocked out the power. Yes, we were having a thunderstorm in late November, which is almost unheard of. That's from Damon from the Lexington Paranormal Research Society. The scariest unexplained thing that I personally witnessed was an aerial disturbance. To my naked eye, it was like a spherical area of wiggly air. That's my best explanation that I can come up with. It was about the size of a basketball. The scary part came in when it came at me, and that piece of equipment that I was holding in my hand began behaving very oddly. It literally started to overheat and smoke. This was also witnessed by about 10 other people and the other people in the same group saw an actual apparition. 
that they claim was a man in a U.S. Civil War uniform. That's probably my scariest actual experience. The best evidence we have relates to an investigation that we were performing in a supposedly haunted mansion. We set out data gathering instruments to measure things like humidity, temperature, EMF levels, RF levels, etc. The reported phenomena in this particular location was all auditory stuff, people hearing things, etc. So we were biased in that direction with lots of microphones everywhere, listening stations and people roaming around trying to provoke some action. From that particular investigation, we did notice that when we picked up a particular unexplained noise, one of the reported haunted noises that we had heard about, we noticed in our collected data a two degree rise and fall in temperature and some interesting fluctuations of EM readings. That story was sent from Ghostly PI. I don't tell many people these stories since they were personal experiences and not truly documented on video. You know how I feel about that. Here's my first story. On the night of a preliminary investigation in early fall, and it was a very slow night, as I walked down the front steps of White Hall in Richmond, Kentucky with Brian and Connor, I was being my typical self, cussing about how the night was weak and these bastards weren't showing themselves. As I finished my sentence, my backpack lifted up from my back and I was shoved from behind, down the steps by an unknown entity. If Brian and Connor hadn't seen it themselves, I would have just brushed it off, but that was the first time that I've ever been physically touched by a spirit. My second story takes place at the Perryville Battlefield, a Civil War site. As Maddie and I were setting up for a public investigation in the basement next to an old jail cell, we heard noises from around the corner. Knowing that we were the only ones down there and we would have heard anyone else enter that area, we were confused. We exited the jail cell, turned toward the historical reenactment, and saw a shadow shoot by. We were both stunned and didn't remove our gaze from the reenactment area. We were getting ready to walk away when we saw what appeared to be a shadow the size of a young girl peek its head around a couple of bourbon barrels. At that point, the room went very cold, and of course the goosebumps came, and all the hair stood on end. He was gone as quickly as he arrived. Throughout that night, the spirit box and digital recorders went crazy, and a medium, whom I trust, told us that the kid was comfortable with us and was leading others to talk to us. The client and guests were ecstatic and loved all of the action that took place. That story came from Lee Jacobs, Paranormal Investigator. You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents Eerie Encounters. If you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show, please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com.